Hello and welcome to the South Food Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now here's Share Pastor Dr. Stu Kokenauer with this week's sermon. We are the church. The body of Christ. A people of every nation. Tribe and language. We are one. 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 Jesus prayed that we would be one. 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 So a world divided. Could see a people united. One in Him. One body. One spirit. One hope. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father. One. 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 Hi, Southcliff. Uh, my name is Stu Kokenauer, and I'm the Share Strategy Pastor here at Southcliff. And a few weeks ago, Dr. Mara asked if I would um, take this section, this day of our series on what it means to be one, to be unified as a church family and unified as Christians in the entire body of Christ. And so it's a privilege to do that. And uh, let's begin by praying together. Father, thank you for this privilege of being here. And I pray that in the next few moments that your spirit would just speak to us and let us know uh, your plan for us as individuals uh, and what you want us to do. In your name we pray, amen. So as we, I think about what it means to have one faith, so as we're going through the scripture in Ephesians, uh, today we're talking about the one faith that unites us as Christians and the fact that we have unity uh, that's supernatural uh, through this one faith. And as I reflect back of a time that I experienced that type of, of universal unity and acceptance was the summer of 1986. So I grew up in Tennessee, uh, pretty much a very monocultural existence. You know, exotic food was like biscuits and gravy, right? We didn't have Mexican food or Chinese food or anything in Tennessee. And I, as a college student, boarded a flight, flight and flew to Manila, Philippines in the summer of 1986 and found myself, that's me, believe it or not, and my partner Angie, uh, and we spent the summer with a Filipino family. And this family, we, went, we walked in the doors, we met them, and immediately they adopted us as their own. Um, um, Feli Vito, the lady on the right there, she became my nana, my mom, for the entire summer. And all the boys there became my kuyas, my brothers, for, this, for the entire summer. And even to this day, I have a relationship with this. But there was no litmus test. There was no questions. I walked in the door, and I was their family. Immediately was accepted. They didn't speak English as a first language, and the food was different, and their worldview was different, and... Politics was different, everything was different. But I walked in and immediately was accepted as family. And even though this was actually about only about six months after they had a, a revolution, and there was some dangerous things maybe happening in the city, but I knew that wherever I was, I was safe 
because I had been adopted into that family instantly because of the bonds that we have. And so that's the type of unity that we want to, that we want to talk about today, the supernatural unity through one faith that we find in Christ. Let's look at the passage that we're um, going over again and again each week. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you have called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So as we, as we look through that passage, we understand that this one faith is something that, um, that we want to seek to know about and we want to seek to have. Now let me just tell you uh, that I probably should have told the first service. We're going to go through a lot of scripture today. So unless you're like a Bible drill champion, you may not be able to keep up. But I will go ahead and I'll post all these verses on our Facebook page, on our Southlip Community Group page if you want to look them up. But we're going to do an in-depth study on faith in the New Testament, because I think it's very important to know what is this faith. So as we look at faith, we see that, that actually there is one word that's used in the New Testament, pistis, which means faith, and there is a meaning that most of us think of immediately when we think of the word faith, and that is something that we have, it's a degree of trust, a level of trust we have in God. And kind of the go-to verse that many of us think about when we think of having faith is Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, now faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith is something that we have, we need to activate, we need to have more of it. And what is it? It's having a, tr a supernatural trust in God. Well, also we see in the New Testament Faith being mentioned as something that is measured or have levels. For example, there was an incident where Jesus actually scolded his followers because they were worrying. They were worrying all the time. And Jesus told his followers, you of little faith. What's wrong with you worrying all the time? You need to have more faith, right? And we use that even in modern language. We say, hey, this person needs to have more faith. But even so, uh, another place, another passage you're probably very familiar with where Jesus said that if you had just a little faith like a mustard seed, just a small amount of faith that you could do great things. And so these passages that many of you may be familiar with, we know that faith is some, something in much of the New Testament, faith is something that is measurable. If you have a lot of faith, you're considered faithful, right? You're a faithful person. You're full of faith. Now, let me um, tell you that, explain this way. Maybe I'll, I will contextualize this. I'll speak Texan for a minute, right? So I, I immigrated. I'm an immigrant from Tennessee to Texas. And when I immigrated to Texas, I learned about salsas. And I learned about there's just not one kind. It's just not the, the kind you get you know, on the shelf. But there's many types of salsas. And we rate those, right? We rate those in Texas as mild salsa, which doesn't hurt a bit medium salsa, which is a little hot, and then hot salsa. And so we know that there are different measures of strength of salsas, right? And if you go to mild, there's no problem. 
maybe you can stand more of that, medium, but the hot, you need to watch it. And then there's always the extreme hot, right? You go to the places and they're like, they put a curse word in front of the, the word hot, or they, uh, they say this is a melt your face salsa or extreme salsa or triple X or something like that. And so you stay away from that, but you know that, that there is measurements of heat. And it's the same way with faith in the Bible. We can see that, that some person has weak faith. They need more faith. They need extreme faith or something like that. Well, however, even the word, the word faith, even though the word faith is used that way, a measurement of our trust in God, there is another meaning of faith in the New Testament. And that's what I really want us to dig into today is this second meaning. Look at Jude verse three. It says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I feel compelled to write you and urge you to contend for the faith. What does it mean to contend for the faith, right? That doesn't really add up with the, what we were talking about, small, medium, large faith, but we need to contend for the faith. So we'll look at 1 Peter 5, 9, another passage that you're probably familiar with. It says the, the devil is a roaring lion looking for, for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. So now we see this, the Bible talk about the faith. Not just having little faith or more faith, but what is the faith that we should stand firm in? First Timothy 3.9, talking of deacons, says that they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. So here's the truths of the faith that's talking about. First Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of, once again, the faith. So we can see that here that in the New Testament there are two meanings of faith. The first one is their level, mild, medium, strong. But then the second meaning, the faith is the core truth of the gospel. It's what it means to be a Christian. It is the thing that we cannot compromise in. So that second meaning, I believe, is what, what this one faith um, thing is that we're, that we're learning about in Ephesians 4. The one faith has to do with the second meaning. Let me give you an illustration of the difference between the two. So... Um, when I was growing up, I was what you would call an airline brat. My mother worked for American Airlines, and so in high school and college, I could fly for very inexpensively. I'd have to wait on standby. Um, you know, did that for many years because we had you know our abilities. I became a frequent flyer. Then, obviously, in leading mission trips, I, I, I flew a lot for that. And so, for me, as a frequent flyer, to get on an airplane to go to Hong Kong is nothing really to worry about. I've done it many times. Every time I've gotten on the plane, I've ended up in Hong Kong, right? I didn't get on the plane and go to Albuquerque, but I've always ended up in Hong Kong. So I'm relaxed. I go in there, I've got my stuff, I've got my little TV, picking my movies out, got my snacks, ready to go, take a nap, wake up in Hong Kong, couldn't be better. So I'm a frequent flyer. My faith is I really don't need a lot. I've been, been there, done that, going to Hong Kong. Now, sitting next to me may be someone who's never been in an airplane before, and I love it. They've never been in an airplane, they're checking it out, and they've never been on a flight, and their very first flight experience is a 16-hour journey to East Asia. And so it's like they're sweating, they're talking to themselves, they're texting, they're writing their last will and testament, you know, they're doing whatever they can because they're like, okay, I, I feel okay, but I really don't feel okay. I am nervous as I'll get out. I, I don't know what's going to happen here. So in that first definition of faith, you would say that the frequent flyer had a huge faith that he was getting to Hong Kong. And then the new flyer maybe had very, very, very little faith, a lot of doubt. Well, that's the first definition of faith. 
But let me explain the second meaning of faith. And that is, it really has nothing to do with my level of comfort, my level of assurance. I am in the right plane with the right pilot. So I will end up at the right destination. And me being relaxed and the other person being nervous, in the end, it doesn't really matter. We're both gonna get off the plane in Hong Kong. Does that make sense? And so having the faith, the, the, in the second definition, having the, the right faith is more about the object of your faith, not your degree of faith. So the faith, when you see that in the Bible, it's talking about what is the object of our faith? What is the core doctrine? What is, what is the essence of salvation? And it is that that unites us. So what is the faith? We wanna know that if, we want, if we're commanded to be one, and we need to be one in, in one faith, unified in one faith. Well, what is that? Well, let me, let me explain what it is not. So here we have a scale, it's not a catapult. I know I didn't go to shop class, but it's a scale. And I wanna let you know that what our one faith is not, it is not a religion. Because most world religions actually function about the same. Believe it or not, I've been to a lot of different countries. I've been to East Asia, I've been to Eastern Europe, I've been to Western Europe, uh, been to Latin America. And so many people that practice different world religions do a lot of the same things. And it basically has the same lesson is I need to do more good stuff than bad. Most world religions, that is the, if you, if you try to get the essence of most world religions, it is, hey, you need to do more good stuff than bad. Let's take Buddhism, for example. Buddhism may say, well, you know what? I've really kind of messed up and I did some wrong things. And so um, here's, some, here's some, some bad things there. And then, but I'm gonna do some good. I'm gonna feed the poor. And yeah, it's about right. So Buddhism is, well, but you know, guess what? I, I was angry and so I really messed up, but then I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and maybe give money to, the, to the, the, the charity. Nope, that's not enough money. Give more money to charity. Okay, there we go. Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing good now. I gave more money. So in Buddhism, it's almost like a game of do more good stuff than bad before you die and you're okay. As long as before you reach the finish line, you do more good than bad, things are gonna work out. And, and they actually also believe that happens in real life. They talk about karma. I wanna have good karma, not bad karma. So if I've got doing bad stuff and I wanna, I wanna have like bad karma, I don't want bad karma, but if I have bad karma, I'm thinking, oh, I need to do something good you know, to balance out. And we use that even in my, even Christians use that term. They talk about, oh, man, I really, uh, I really gonna have bad karma because I forgot to do this. Or they watch YouTube videos of instant karma where somebody like, you know, kicks a dog and, and then like, you know, lightning strikes them or something, you know, whatever. But uh, we, we use that term, but that's really a very Eastern belief um, as even not as much, uh, you know, good and evil, but just we have to balance out the light and the, and the darkness in our life. And so, that's what Buddhism is. Now, Islam is different, but very similar. For Islam, it's like, you know what? I've got bad stuff in my life, so I have a God who is a God of justice and righteousness, and I want to do more good than bad so that when I die, I might have a shot at heaven. See, my Muslim friends don't have any assurance of salvation, so they're like, you know what? God is just, God is sovereign, and 
I, I can't know whether I'm going to heaven. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. I don't know whether in, in, in God's eyes, when I die, he'll, he'll feel like sending me to heaven. But I want to stack up as many good works as I can so when I die, I'm, I'll have some hope at a shot at heaven. So that's what, what, where Islam is. Still working work in the scales though, trying to have more good than bad. You know, and then we look at modern Judaism, which is, you know what, the world, the world is sick, the world is, the, the earth is messed up, and so we want to do good works. Uh, as a Jewish people, we want to do good works as, as individuals. We want to somehow heal our land from the bad stuff, so we want to do good. So if we can do good, then, then that, that can maybe speed up the return, or not the return, the, the first coming of the Messiah. Uh, the Jews believe that, that they can maybe help speed up the Messiah coming, not acknowledging Christ as the Messiah, of course, but to speed that up happen. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do good works, and, but they're really trusting in their heritage. I am a part of the chosen people, and therefore, you know, pretty much my eternal security is set, but I wanna do some things to kind of help heal the earth and make this a better place for us to live and speed up the coming of, of the Messiah. And then we have many traditional Christian religions function like this, and maybe you grew up like this. Ooh, I did something bad on Saturday, and so I need to go to church on Sunday, and nope, I need to go to church and maybe teach a Sunday school class. Nope, I need to give some money. There we go. Oh, I still did a lot of bad stuff this weekend. Okay, I'm going to help a little lady cross the street. Okay, that's enough. Oh, still not enough. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to wash Dr. Moore's car. Okay. So whatever you do, there we go, finally. So many of us, oper Christians operate with a sign of penance of I did bad stuff and I feel guilty, therefore I need to do penance to feel, to convince God I'm really, really, really sorry, right? God, I'm really, really, really sorry, and let me show you how much I'm sorry, you know, by let me, you know, get out my checkbook and write a check, or let me uh, decide I'm gonna, you know, bake a cake for my neighbor, or whatever it is, but I need to do good stuff. I need to repeat the same verses over and over and over again. You know, I need to memorize scripture, I need to do whatever it is. I need to do things in the good to get my ledger, you know, where it needs to be, right? Because I've got all this bad stuff. And if I do something really bad and I sin again, well then I need to do something really good. And we're constantly playing this balance act with God of God, I feel so guilty, I'm so, it's so bad, so I need to do some good stuff so I don't feel so bad. I want God to like me, I want God to give me grace. And so most religions function something like that, like these scales. They have good stuff and bad stuff, good deeds, bad deeds, and the goal is by the time the game is over to, to win by having more good than bad. Or to say this, but before you die, make sure you've done more good works. And even people who are atheists say, you know what, I'm not sure, I'm not sure there's a heaven, I'm not sure there's a hell, but I'm pretty sure if there is, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. So right, we've, it makes sense in our minds. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Well, how do we know who's good? How do we know who's bad? And how good do you have to be? Or how bad? Is there a little good, a little bad? And so this is actually a very good way that humans try to figure out God and sin and salvation. It's called religion. Unfortunately, it's not biblical. 
The Bible doesn't teach this, but it makes sense to us in our, in our human minds because we want to figure it out. We want to figure out the system. We want to know how does this work. So, well, if religion cannot save us, if this isn't how it works, if this isn't how we get to heaven through the scale like this, then what is it? Well, we can look through scripture and the Bible's very clear what it takes to have a right relationship with God, to be forgiven of our sins and to make it to heaven when we die. I mean, let's, let's look at, at three different things I think that the, the Bible teaches. Number one, salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter four, verse 10 says, it's by the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind but that you must be saved. Point number one you must remember if you're gonna figure out what is this faith, this essential faith that, that we must have to be unified that is not up for debate is this. Salvation is only found through Jesus Christ. There is not several ways to heaven. There is not a side road for Buddhists and Hindus to find their, in Confucians, to find their way to God. There's not a side path. There is not a shortcut for Jews or Muslims to say, you know what, they may reject Christ, but we're gonna go ahead and come up with a plan B, a side path, so they can go ahead and, and be forgiven of their sins. The Bible teaches is only through Jesus Christ. There's no exceptions, no other way. In fact, Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that he was the only way to the Father. There's not even a shortcut for bankers or lawyers, engineers, or Baptist preachers. You see, being born an American really doesn't give you an, an edge. The only edge you have is being forgiven of your sins through Jesus Christ. And so, when Jesus said he's the only way, the second thing we must understand is this, that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and overcame death. That's why we, we, we talk about the cross, we talk about the resurrection. Romans 10, nine says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation comes not through our good works, right? Not through the good things that we do, that doesn't save us. It comes through Jesus Christ, and specifically through the death of Christ who died on the cross for our, our sins, taking our punishment, and then the resurrection that proves that Christ had power over sin or death and the power to forgive us. So up at this point, I think most, most Christians are, are tracking, those church-going people are tracking and say, okay, I get it. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. But there's a third part of this that I think that is an essential part of the gospel according to scripture that we must recognize, and that's this. It's, it's salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and overcame death. And it's because of God's grace, this gift of salvation is available to you. God's grace. Look at the scripture that talks about this so, so clearly, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, the free gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, most religions are what we would call transactional religions. I'm gonna do good stuff and the spirit world or God or energy or whatever, we're gonna get balanced out. It's a transaction, a give and take. But the problem is, this is not how God sees humanity. 
This is not how God sees us. Because when we very first, the very first time, think about the, the very first time that you sinned as a young person and you consciously said, you know what, I know right and wrong. I know the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. And I, I know God wants me to do good stuff. But you know what, I am gonna do, I'm going to do my own thing. And so at that very point in time, when you very first said, willingly, I'm going to sin and do the bad stuff, this is what happened. You became, in God's mind, in God's, in reality, a sinner. So the power of sin separated you from God when you sinned, and you became a sinner. And yeah, you may have done little sins, or you may have done things, but what God sees the most importantly is the fact that you are a sinner. And then you say, hey, I know I'm a sinner, God, and I'm separated from you. And, to, and why is that important? Well, God is holy, God is righteous, God is just. He cannot have fellowship with unrighteousness. Does that make sense? And so the fact that we have sin in our lives, we're building a wall between us and God. And we can say, hey God, look at me, I gave money to the poor. Hey God, I went on a mission trip. Stu likes me because I went on a mission trip. And I did share week, and I, I walked a little lady across the street, and I talked, hey God, look at me, and nothing's budging. Why? Because it's, there is no way that we can do enough good things to forgive our own sins. Is that making sense? Because we are a sinner, we have the burden of sin, we're separated from God, we can't repair that by our own acts of goodness. We cannot, we cannot just, um, we can't forgive our own sins. And so what do we do? We have to figure out, okay, I need to do something to receive forgiveness, and what, what do I do? Well, let me... Let me give you an illustration. Imagine if, um, if um, to just to, to illustrate how we cannot forgive our own sins, be good enough for sin. Imagine that I went to San Diego uh, for a swimming contest, and I was going to swim against Michael Phelps. And so here's me on the pier in San Diego, and there's Michael Phelps. My family's here; they're going, "Yeah, my money's on Phelps." So uh, and so. Um, I'm here on the pier, and we're gonna go one, two, three, and we're gonna have a race. Who will get to the finish line first? Will it be Stu or Michael Phelps? Ready, get set, and before it goes off, oh, and by the way, the finish line is Hawaii. So I'm on the pier, ready to go. Michael Phelps is doing whatever he does, you know, doing that, and I'm just kinda here, ready to go. And one, two, three, go, we take off in the water, it doesn't matter that Michael Phelps is five times faster than me. It doesn't matter that Michael Phelps will go five times farther than me. We're both gonna drown. Why? It is impossible for any human being to swim from San Diego to Hawaii. It's not gonna happen. And so I may say he is a really, really great swimmer and I'm a really, really lousy swimmer, but in the end, it doesn't matter how good a swimmer he is or how bad a swimmer he is because the task of swimming from San Diego to Honolulu is just not possible on the strength of just one human being. And so that's this picture that we had. Once again, if this was the end of the service, this would be like the worst sermon ever, right? Well, it's, it's hopeless. How can we do? We do good stuff, nothing budges. That's where the gospel comes in to play. 
You see, when Jesus died for our sins on the cross, and when Jesus took the punishment, took our punishment of our sins, then through his power and his righteousness, something changed. Really, this didn't really do much, did it? But look through the power of Christ. Now, this is insignificant. This is nothing compared to the righteousness that Christ imparted on us when he died on the cross for us. And because of that, actually, the Bible says, and not only does, is this stronger than that, this is like done. Now it's like, yeah, I'm not an engineer, obviously. <laughs> Wouldn't even pass shop class, okay. But this, this is done. When Christ saves us and forgives us of our sins, we're no longer separated from God like we were before. When God sees us, the Bible says God doesn't no longer sees our sins, he sees Christ's righteousness. And yes, we may still sin, and sin is bad, but that sin doesn't cut us off from Christ. It, we, don't, we don't lose our salvation. What it does is it says, oh, this is a problem. Let's deal with this problem. So when, whenever we sin as a Christian, yeah, that's a problem we deal with, but it doesn't change our status as being children of God. Any more than if you were adopted in the family and you made a bad grade, the parents are like, oh, you made a B, you're out of the family, see ya. No, it doesn't happen. God doesn't kick us out of our, his family when we mess up. But this is the picture that we should see not the previous pictures with all of these things. Because in, in essence, in the end, these don't save us. These good works don't save us. And these sins are powerless to change our eternal destination once Christ has given us the gift of salvation. I hope that that's registering with you this way. Just know this, the scale with both sides back and forward makes sense to us, but it's not biblical. It is not how God sees us and not how God sees salvation. So if we want to talk about this one faith that we must have, the one faith that we cannot compromise about, it is what we would call the gospel. The gospel are good news. In essence, here's a verse that explains the gospel so simply. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You know what wages are? It's what you you. you you earn, right? Well, we've earned punishment. We've earned death through this. Romans 6, 3, the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So once again, there's that word gift. The fact is that we've, we're destined for death and punishment. But Romans six twenty three says that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, our part is making Christ our Lord. And some of you say, well, what about good works? What about these things? Well, we just wanna just forget about good works? No. Good works are important. They show the world that we're different. They are what God, they're God's will for us, right? We've, we are created for good works. It's God's desire that we do good things, that we're, like I said, we're salt and light. 
We're the hands and feet of Jesus, but the good works don't save us. A good way to remember this is that salvation is the root, good works is the fruit. So you're not gonna see a dead tree with fruit on it, right? Doesn't happen. So the, the fruit, the good things that we do as a Christian should happen because of what we're rooted in uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and that we're saved. So I hope that, that helps you understand that. So uh, how, what does this mean to, to, to those of us here in the room and those of us watching online? For some of you, you're tired. You've been trying to work this game of balancing out good, good blocks and bad blocks and you're like, I feel so guilty all the time so I, I'll feel better if I do some more good and you're playing a game and you're, you're just trying to figure it out and you're tired. It's like, have you, can you imagine trying to win a car race with no gasoline in the tank? I know people that have said that before. It's like, you know what? I started hanging out with Christians and it was exhausting. They were doing this, they were doing this. And like, where's this coming from? It's hard. Well, guess what? We're not meant to live the Christian life in our own strength. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. And a prerequisite of that though is to have the salvation and forgiveness of God. So some of you need to stop trying to do more, do better, uh, and focus on your relationship with God. I know there's people watching online that, that have said before, you know what? When I get my act together, I'm gonna go back to church. I've got some things I need to work out. I, got, I, I have some habits, I've got some this and that. And it's really not cleaning yourself up so you can go and be religious. It's the fact that we need to understand that we're all sinners. And without salvation, life is meaningless. Think of it this way. We're here created by God and God loves us, but we do have to do something. That is we have to accept his gift of salvation. The most famous Bible verse you've heard, John three sixteen: for God so loves the, loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so this gift that God gave when, he, when Jesus died on the cross was not automatically applied to everyone. It is our choice. We have to decide, am I going to accept God's gift of salvation? Am I gonna make Jesus my Lord? Am I gonna give up what I have to, in exchange for what God wants to give me? Or am I gonna continue to do my own thing? Well, I want you to consider that where you are in your life because there are some of you here in the room and some online, and like I said, you're tired of trying to be good in your own strength. You're trying to figure out how this, this good versus bad works, and you're ready. You're ready to surrender. The good news is, it's not about being better. It's not about feeling guilty and doing good stuff to overcome the guilt. It's about surrendering to Christ. I'd like to have a time of prayer right now. And just where, where you are here in the room and online, just pray where you are and just focus on God. And you know, th there's at least three different people that are, that are listening right here, right now. Some of you, your relationship with God is spot on. It's where it needs to be. And if that's you, just pray for the people around you. Pray for the people at home. And then, you know, there's some of you, you have a lot of questions. Uh, you're not ready you're, you're, you're hearing this for the first time, maybe you're figuring this out. And if that's you, I just want you to listen. 
just open your heart to God. But some of you right here in this room and, and watching online as well, you say, you know what? I know today is the day I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to stop playing the games of trying to do more good and to outweigh the bad. And I just need to give up and say, God, I give my life to you. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And I want to encourage you just silently in your heart to pray along with me a simple prayer that says, God, I want, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I realize that my sin has separated me from you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. I believe that you brought him back to life three days later. God, please forgive me of my sins and prepare a place for me in heaven. Today, I choose to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Amen. Now, some of you in this room may have prayed that prayer. And if that is you, then I want to know. I want to be able to encourage you. I want to be able to give you resources. If you prayed that prayer, take out your cell phone, right? That's my cell number. That's my personal number. I think I have an airplane mode, so if you try and call, it won't ring. But you send me a text message right here, right now. Just take your phone and say, hey, Stu, I prayed the prayer. Or, uh, hey, Stu, I, you know, um, I prayed today. Put your name, and I will call you back. I will talk to you. I'll meet with you if need, have me, if, if need be. But that's my cell number. Some of you are watching online, maybe even in a different country. You can, you can contact me on WhatsApp, or you can email pastor at southlift.com. Now, some of you, you still have a lot of questions. You're going, okay, that kind of made sense, but I need to know more. I've got to have some questions about Jesus. I'm not ready to give my life to Jesus right now. Take out your phone right now. Hey, Stu, can we talk? Hey, this is my name. Can we talk sometime? I would love to talk to you on the phone, no matter where you are. Uh, I'd love to talk with you today, tomorrow, this week, and say, let's, let's talk. We can meet in person, or we can just talk on the phone. Let's talk about these questions you have, because this is an important thing. This is actually the most important thing. So take out your cell phone, send me a text, say, hey, can we talk sometime? I will, I will, I've got some questions, I need some answers, and, and I, will, I will promise you I will get back with you. Let's all bow one more time and pray. Father, thank you for what you've done today. Father, I pray that we will understand the nature of salvation, that we can be one as a family based on our common belief in salvation by faith through grace. Father, I pray that those that are listening today here and online, uh, if they pray that they would reach out, if they still have questions, that they would not just forget about it, but they would, that they would reach out and get answers, Father. And I pray that we will be bold in sharing this message with everyone we know. In your name we pray, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.